Salonica was a good church, one for which the Apostle Paul could give thanks, one of which he could speak proudly, and one he could pray for confidently. As we've seen, it was also a confused church. It had forgotten some important things Paul shared with them about the future and had therefore been deceived and had become unnecessarily disturbed. Paul acknowledged that they were facing hard times because lawlessness was at work in the world. But he assured them that God was still in control and one day would bring judgment against all lawlessness. He sought to comfort and strengthen them by reminding them that they were a loved church, that God had chosen them and had called them to himself. But he's going to conclude his letter with a rather stern reprimand. So before he gets there, he prepares them with a call to prayer. You know, if a church is a praying church, it can handle whatever might come, especially if it is praying for others and it's praying for strength and direction. Paul calls the church in Thessalonica to such prayer as he moves into the conclusion of his letter. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. You know, Paul did not seek to minimize the struggles the church in Thessalonica was facing. He acknowledged that they were suffering and commended them for the way they were handling persecutions and affliction. But he doesn't allow them to stay focused on themselves. He draws them to the needs of others, particularly the needs of others involved in the mission of the church. You know, they weren't the only ones who were having a hard time doing what God had called them to do. They weren't the only ones who were having a hard time spreading the word of the Lord. And if they would start praying for others in ministry, they would be strengthened just knowing they weren't alone in their struggles. And they would gain a better perspective on their needs by praying for the needs of the brethren. We, too, must be kept aware of the needs of others in ministry. And I could spend the rest of the morning detailing atrocities being committed against Christians around the world today. Preachers in Kazakhstan arrested and tortured for preaching in unregistered churches. Hindu extremists in India blasting prayer meetings with loud music and then bursting into churches to attack worshipers. A pastor's wife, gang-raped in Bangladesh, 
A convert from Islam jailed in Somalia for distributing Christian materials. Gunmen opening fire on churches in Nigeria and then shooting those to attend funerals to bury the dead. A Pentecostal church building, their building demolished in Russia during the middle of the night. Now, you can and you should read of these things yourself. And you can do so by going to Compass Direct News and other websites committed to drawing attention to the plight of the persecuted church. And then pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and that those striving to spread it be delivered from perverse and evil men. That's what Paul exhorted the church in Thessalonica to do. And when he asked for prayer, he wasn't simply asking for general prayer for the missionaries. He was very specific. In fact, he was asking for prayer for himself and his associates. He says, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. He wanted them to pray that others would respond to the gospel as they had. And he was seeking their prayers not only to keep them aware of the need to pray that others find what they had found in Christ, but to make them partners in ministry. Paul wanted their help in being delivered from perverse and evil men. And prayer was an important way they could help. Now, I have to confess that I do not fully understand the connection between our prayers and God's willingness to meet the needs of missionaries on the field. It would seem that he would meet their needs whether the saints at home prayed or not. But Paul asked the church to pray for him. And Jesus told us to beseech the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers. So we pray as instructed whether we understand the connection between our prayers and God's provision or not. And Paul obviously felt that he needed their prayers because he was facing perverse and evil men. We actually read of the situation in Corinth from where he was writing in Acts 18, verses 5 through 11. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. He departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. 
But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Now, God was true to his word, and Paul wasn't harmed in Corinth. But the leader of the synagogue was beaten, and the Roman officials didn't care. Obviously, Paul was facing perverse and evil men who wouldn't accept the gospel. And the great apostle Paul was afraid. He was afraid. He was even hesitant to preach. When writing later to the Corinthians, he told of similar struggles that he faced in Asia and how prayer had helped him. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, we read, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers. That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. Paul knew he would be strengthened by the prayers of the church in Thessalonica. And he assured them that the Lord would strengthen them. Verses 3 and 4. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Now, it's not clear whether Paul said God would protect them from evil or the evil one. It can be translated either way. But we do know that there is an evil one behind all evil, and our struggle is ultimately against him. Paul made that clear in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. When writing to Timothy, toward the end of his life, Paul made it clear that the Lord had stood with him and has strengthened him. In 2 Timothy 4.17, he wrote, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Through the prayers of God's people, and by utilizing the armor of God, Paul had accomplished what he had been commissioned to do. Gentiles had heard the gospel, and Paul had been delivered. 
And Paul was confident that the Thessalonians would be strengthened and protected if they would continue doing as commanded, if they would be obedient to the call for prayer and would utilize the spiritual resources God had provided them. And as they were praying for him, Paul would be praying for them, as he would later do for the Colossians. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, we read, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness, and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul would pray that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will so they could walk in a manner worthy of him and that they would be strengthened, enabled to bear fruit in every good work. His prayer for the Thessalonians was obviously the same. And so he prayed that the Lord might direct their hearts. Verse 5. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now, obviously, a good church wants the Lord's direction. The question is, how do we get it? And how do we know when we have it? You know, there are a lot of experts out there offering direction to churches, telling them what to do and how to be successful. Business models and leadership styles are often held up as the answers to a church's perceived failures. If a church isn't growing in numbers, there are things that can be done that will pretty much guarantee growth. If a congregational disagreements are bogging down the work of the church, a new leadership style may be able to get it back on track. Now, I don't doubt that there are things the church can learn from the business world and from individuals who are able to lead effectively. But we have to be very careful not to abandon our dependence on the Lord nor minimize the unique nature of the church. The church isn't a business. And ministers are not CEOs of an organization. The church is the body of Christ on earth. And Christ is the head of the church. It's therefore His will that we seek, not a pragmatic solution to a perceived problem. And when we seek the Lord's direction, we look first in His Word. We search the Scriptures for commands to obey and principles to apply. 
Then we seek the wisdom to implement what we've discerned. And we do that through prayer and the resulting consensus of godly men who have accepted the responsibility of shepherding our church. That's how we seek the Lord's direction and how we affirm we have found it in specific matters. We search the scriptures. The elders pray then for wisdom. And we find affirmation when we all agree that a particular action is what God would have us do. If we do not reach consensus, we do not proceed. I think God has blessed that approach. That's how we seek his direction and affirm that we've found it on specific matters. But then on a more general level, Paul points to two things that assure us we're on the right track as a church. If the Lord is directing us, his love will be evident in our hearts and in our lives. His love will change us and his love will find expression in everything we do as the body of Christ. And, of course, we understand what is meant by love. It's not just a feeling, an emotional response. It's an overwhelming awareness of his commitment to us, as demonstrated by what he has done for us. Something that was preeminently displayed on the cross. And when that kind of love has permeated our hearts, it is reflected in the way we treat each other and the way we reach out to others. We know the Lord is directing us. When we love the way He loves, when we steadfastly do what love demands of us, whether we feel like it or not, and whether it's hard or not. Now, Paul is going to be asking the church in Thessalonica to do some things that won't be easy or pleasant. There were some problems in the church that had to be addressed. Problems that had come from false teaching and doctrinal immaturity. Some of the things he was going to tell them to do might not look very loving. So they were going to have to be strong. Strong enough to practice what we might call tough love. But Paul was confident that they would do as commanded. They were a good church. And they were a praying church. God would give them the strength to do what needed to be done. 
May God give us the strength to do all that he would have us do. That which we discern from his word and through the shepherding of godly men. May the word of the Lord be spread, and may he be glorified through the ministry of Chatham Christian Church. And if you desire to commit yourself to this body of believers, to the ministry that's been given to us, I invite you to come and make that desire known.